What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Miss Jasmine Worth. She stopped by the studio to sit down for an interview. Um, we talk Ocean Beach, the East County, Flintstones, Bad Advice, Steampunk Body Odor, Children, Cuteness and Morbidity, Panhandling, Women in Art, Power Structures, and Stupidity Cocoons. <laughs> Jasmine and I just recently met, which is really strange that we've been in the same city and have been in some of the same art circles for a long time, but just recently connected. Uh, It was cool to have her be able to come sit down and record at the house. It was also awesome to have uh, Mr. Lex Castaneda, a.k.a. Producer Lex, as we're going to be called from now on. He is going to be recording all of my live shows uh, or uh, interviews that I do here in person in the studio. Uh, that aren't Skype, and I guess he, he'll probably be able to help me out when I start, uh, well, I already do Skype calls, but when I, when I do the uh, interviews with people outside of the, Jesus, why do I got to stutter this so much? He's also going to help for uh, Skype interviews in the future. I wonder if that's going to work. All right. We didn't, we, we forgot to plug some of the stuff that uh, Jasmine has coming up, so real quickly, I just wanted to let you know that there's a macabre show at La Luz de Jesus in October, and that's in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. And then she's also doing the 13th Hour show at Last, Last Rites Gallery in New York in October as well. Um, also, she'll be on board for the podcast group shows that I'm putting together that will start in September. Um, I'm getting all the artists who have been on the show together for a big group art show. Um, it's going to be held at the Hellion Gallery in Portland in September. And then it's going to come down to San Diego for the Hellion Gallery's space down here as well. And maybe it'll go further into the future because obviously it's going to keep building. So maybe we'll do like a yearly thing or something. Most of the artists so far are down. Uh, a couple of them don't want to do it for some reason. Uh, timing or whatever. But I think something like 90% of the artists are going to be involved. So if, you, if you're if you one of the artists that have been on the show and we haven't talked about it and you he- you're hearing this... Get at me. Uh, okay, so I think... Is there anything else i got to tell you? Uh, make sure you go subscribe and rate and download and all that good shit in iTunes. Uh, it helps with the numbers and puts us on the charts and makes me feel more important for some reason. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, and when you subscribe in iTunes, all the shows automatically show up in, in your iTunes podcast folder. So you don't have to worry about going and finding the show on iTunes every time. It just shows up after you click refresh. Uh, and I think iTunes typically auto-refreshes every 24 hours or something like that. So do that. Uh, it helps a lot. And each new subscriber is also beneficial. If you can go over to the iTunes page with the for the Live Free podcast and leave a comment over there, that would also be stupendous. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, the podcast Twitter is at Live Free Podcast. The mine is uh, Mike Maxwell Art. Stupid iTunes producer, iTunes. Now I'm shitting on iTunes on a stupid GarageBand. Uh, make sure you follow uh, producer Lex. I'm not going to be able to tell you how his. Uh, God damn it! Let's see. Can I pull up Twitter right now and have this not be a major issue? Let's try Twitter. Uh, now I gotta go in my ats and try to find. God damn it! Why is Twitter so hard to f- look somebody up? Like I can't just type in a few letters of somebody's name and have 
their shit show up in my feed. But instead, I got to go through all these ats and try to find somebody. Because Lex has a fucking long-ass Greek-sounding name, and I can't fucking figure out what his Twitter will be. Maybe it's Spanish. Man, why am I saying it's Greek? It might be Spanish. Oh, God damn it! Well, I'll just put it on the podcast Twitter. I'll do one of those friend follow goddamn things. All right. I think that's it. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Miss Jasmine Worth. So, thank you very much for coming by the pad to uh, sit down and talk with me. Yeah, sure. This is such a weird. It's a weird. Uh, it's a weird intro here because typically, like almost all my interviews are through Skype because artists are all over the place. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, I get like the ring, and I get to like do like a little like I say something right before the ring starts. So having you in studio is nice. I'm, we're trying to do this more often. Uh, Nico is just here. And uh, producer Lex in the house. Do you want to say a word, Lex? What's going on? It's a pleasure to be doing your podcast, man. <laughs> All right. So, Miss Jasmine Worth. Yeah. Thank you again for uh, for being here. Let's um let's sort of introduce the listeners to who you are. You're a you're a painter. Uh, sometime a model. Some, but we're gonna sometime. we're gonna leave that alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, did you grow up in San Diego? I know you went to school up in the North County part of San Diego, right? Uh, I went to school actually in Orange County at Laguna College of Art and Design. Oh. But See, I, I don't know them. Yeah, I went. I went to school with some really cool people. I went Kevin Peterson, um, Mary Louise Silva, Jesse Lawson. Um, met some really cool people up there. I was born and raised in San Diego. Grew up in OB. Um, did all my schooling down there. OB. Nice. Did uh, Did you grow up like stereotypical OB? Like, like OB street rat, New, Newport Ave well, style. Well, for people, maybe we should we should describe it for people who don't know Ocean Beach. Because actually, um, one of the uh, Kevin Earl Taylor is a San Francisco artist. He's actually here today and was asking me where to go to get burritos, uh, oh. fish tacos or burritos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, just go to OB, you'll find it. Yeah, Nico's. There. So <laughs> Ocean Beach is like, I, I people have described it. I've heard people describe it as like the white ghetto. You know, it's this very small, like, it seems almost island-esque the way that it's set up on the coastline. It's like one of San Diego's more southern uh, beach areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really packed, like, white, lots of white, like, biker, like, Hell's Angel, like, tattoo types. Yeah. And it's it's always been, like, a sort of, like, an outlaw area, kind of. Mm -hmm. Lots of hippies, too. Plus hippies, which... That's always like a weird mix, right? Like we've seen that since the '60s, like Hell's Angels, like outlaw types, like mixing in. It's it's got to be just that sort of culture that is disenfranchised from normal society. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's definitely a unique area of San Diego. Anyone from San Diego, you say OB, they know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So was that like an influence coming up? Um, actually, I I feel like I was always at odds with that area growing up. You know, it which was, is typical, right? Yeah, you know, it was. Yeah, that they're. So begins the angsty artist, uh, you know. But thing. part of you has to love it at the same time. No? It, yeah, I still go down there. I get very nostalgic. And, and I realize it was actually a really cool area to grow up in, especially, you know, in San Diego. is very unique. A lot of art, a lot of, um, you know, burnouts, uh, weird people. I 
I remember going into a store down there and getting all this bizarre medieval weaponry from this creepy Celtic guy that, you know, if anybody grew up down there is familiar with that area, they remember he was like in the back of this brick building and he was just a complete creeper. But, you know, you couldn't really find that anywhere else. Uh, all these old, you know, old fashioned candy stores. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had a lot of fond memories growing up there. The most OG smoke shop, too. Like the, the like- black. Forever. If, yeah. if you were in high school and you were trying to get like something to smoke weed with, you that was where you went. <laughs> well, I think that was another reason I was kind of at odds with, uh, you know, grow up. It was like pot loma, you know, joint loma, that whole stereotype down there. And, uh, you know, I never surfed. I wasn't much of a beach person. Uh, I was kind of a introvert bookworm that wore all black even when I was a pretty young and um so it definitely didn't fit in down there at all that still kind of does though because you know you have like (laughs) weird bookshops or like you know like occultic little like weird knickknack things yeah yep so part of that almost fits it does kind of i i remember one of the first pagan stores i went into was down there and unfortunately they're not there anymore but starcrafts was awesome and then that got taken over and I think that there's um another place over there that's kind of similar, you know, within a couple blocks now. But uh, you know, it's it's changed. Obviously, it's yeah, been sure. it's been a long time. But they yeah. tried to fight the Starbucks. It couldn't happen. Oh, I wish they could have got them out of there. That that was a bummer. But they tried. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> it's definitely a different place now. But actually, that's the first place I ever got arrested. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was it was, uh, yeah, I was sixteen. So it wasn't really like full. <laughs> And within a, I think the following week I got, I got an alcohol charge, minor with alcohol, and then minor <laughs> with marijuana charge the oh next week. Oh my gosh. They're sticking <laughs> it to me. Down in OV, huh? I thought that was just kind of, they let you do that down there. Y- you would think, right? I would think. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not when you're a 16-year-old hoodlum, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, do you leave OB to go to Orange County? Uh, my mom moved out of OB, Point Loma area, when I was kind of in my early teens, and she moved out to East County, which was terrible, and uh, I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could, so um, I went and I got my own place. I moved out in the beginning of my 17th year, and I went to uh, Normal Heights, where I'm actually currently living now, but I kind of went full circle. I've lived everywhere, North Park, Normal Heights, South Park, Golden Hill, um, everywhere in Metro San Diego, basically. I'm East County. Oh yeah, yeah I know. We're there. as we're as we're you know. We're 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 not in we're, East County. Where now. where are is this North this County? Is, this is Center City. Center. Yeah. I guess we're a little north of Center. City. I guess North Park area. So you're East County. Kevin Kevin is too. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. part? El Cajon. El Cajon. I yeah. own I own property now out in Winter Garden. Nice yeah, hustling. So huh? hey, East County homeowner right here. Yeah. I actually I lived <laughs> on Winter Gardens when I you was. Uh, I went to W D Hall, which is right over by me. So you didn't know Kevin back then? No, uh-uh, but it, we had mutual friends, though, which yeah. is interesting. That is but we didn't meet until I started running the voice gallery. Yeah. Did and you ever go to that? No, I've heard of it, but I didn't. Damn. I know. <laughs> so were you were you making art already, like, when you were young? Yeah, my mom actually has a drawing I did of Flynn, Fred Flintstone when I was uh, three years old that she laminated and she kept on the fridge. And um, it was funny because I was actually in Stephen Daly's uh, Gag Me With a Tune recently, um, and I did a Flintstones piece to kind of come full circle. And I asked my mom for that piece, but she just went through a move recently and she didn't have it, but I so badly wanted to hang my three-year-old drawing of Fred Flintstone next to my 
21-year-old. Yeah, that would be rad. <laughs> no, next to my, uh, you know, drawing, painting you, of them now. Did you ever see that project that uh, – there was some group show a few years ago where they had um, they had a bunch of artists remake kids' illustrations? Yes, like, so I they, did. They, they just took, like, weird kids' drawings yeah. and then had, like, professional artists, like – uh you know sort of polish them up a little yeah, yeah. make them more three-dimensional yep. put some depth in them and like grow them to like what like a painter would make yeah. as a three-year-old yeah i think Very the images funny. of that got sent around like wildfire i got so many you know texts of that it was a great idea people really loved it i thought it was super clever yeah yeah did you did did your mom tell you any like mythologies about like how great you were as a as a young child i don't know if they were myth mythologies I <laughs> well i mythologies I mean, doesn't necessarily make truisms, it yes yes it, mythologies doesn't necessarily make it false <laughs> yes until it's proven wrong yeah yeah <laughs> not 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 yet um so so the truisms that she told me uh, yeah, yeah you can call it yeah <laughs> No, uh, my, my mom was very supportive of my art career. And it's actually funny because my dad uh, was an artist. My mom is not artistically inclined at all. My dad was very against it, um, you know, because he, had, man. Yeah, he had struggled with it himself. And he knew firsthand it wasn't an easy road. But my mom was very supportive, helped me through college, uh, you know, saved all my drawings, um, helped me, you know, go to uh, different art classes and things when I was younger that I wouldn't have been able to afford, you know, before I had a job or anything. She helped me get my portfolio together for, you know, to submit to art college and whatnot. So, yeah, she's always been very supportive. I think I, <laughs> I think I'm at this point where I would start telling young artists to get some other type of job. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I still want, like, I'm always supportive of, of people making things. But maybe just make things and also have a side job. Back to, job. Yeah, help. Oh, I, I just tell them, go for it. It's I wonderful. know, I do too all the time. But I... <laughs> Full bore. I Don't listen to what anybody tells you. You're, you're going to be a millionaire. You can be famous. Do it. I sometimes wonder if I'm giving out bad advice. <laughs> I think we definitely I'm are. Har- yeah, I'm, I'm harming more people than I am helping. But that's them. part of the, you know, the awesome end of it. Like, no, nobody wants to hear that you can't do it. And if, if they, even if they hear that, I think if they are an artist worth their salt at all, they're going to go out and do it anyway. But in yeah, fact, by telling them they shouldn't, you're actually probably driving them to do it more. You know, they were rebelling. This guy doesn't okay. know. I'm going to do it. That shit has power. <laughs> That's how I quit smoking cigarettes. I had a buddy who, like my my best friend that I've been friends with since we were babies or whatever. Our parents were best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, oh, you can't you can't quit smoking. You can't do that. <laughs> it's like, really? And I, I wanted to. You know, like I was yeah. at a point where I wanted to quit smoking. Yeah. But it was like, I, I'm not going to make that choice. Like, uh-huh. why the fuck am I going to do that? It was like. Oh, he said I can't do it. Fuck yeah. this motherfucker. I'm Sometimes, gonna do it. Yeah, and it that worked. Can be great, it great worked so good. Yeah. yeah. But it's tough out there to to really, you know, do this thing full time. And you're you're doing it full time, right? I am. Yeah. This is my only uh my only job. You know, I'll 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 take little side jobs here and there if the if it breaks my fancy, I guess. But um yeah, this is where I make my primary living and I've um, been doing that for, let's see, I managed Music Trader for a couple of years. I was an employee there, like just a registered jockey for years and years. Which and then, one? Uh, the uh, college location over there on El Cajon Boulevard. Uh, maybe we have met before. Yeah, there's a chance. I've I've met a lot of people in there. Um, But yeah, I worked there for about eight years, and then they shut us all down. And I was making a, a decent amount off of my artwork, and so I decided to just go ahead and do it um, proper style and live off my art. 
make sure there's no flaws in our game here. Uh-huh. It would be devastating. I, I know. See, look at me. I'm so used to having to try to like keep track of all the uh, like the recording levels and you know have my mind in three different places, like keeping track of conversation, like trying to be smooth and pretending like I'm paying attention. <laughs> but now we got producer Lex here. He's gonna take care of that shit, and I can stop worrying. Like I'm so. Do you find? I, it seems like artists that I know and myself are oftentimes like you have to do everything on your own. You can't let anybody else fuck with shit. Like you're like, I know that I know how to do this and I'm going to make it happen. And like, you can't sort of let go a little bit. Do you find any of that sort of, I do. I control issues a little bit maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What is that about? (laughs) It, It seems like the people who decide to make their own pathway in life have that, sort of personality flaw yeah well i don't even know if it's i mean it can be a flaw but i think that maybe we wouldn't have gotten to where we were if we didn't have that a little bit yeah it, it's a burden sometimes but it for sure be. it, i bet it, it's, it has to be an engine for moving forward yeah maybe we'll learn to grow out of it after we've uh, accomplished everything we need to yeah i doubt it <laughs> so let's talk about your work a little bit um you there's a um a reoccurring figurative you're a you're an oil painter. I am, yeah. I have uh, been for a couple of years now. Most of what I've seen in person has been uh, miniatures and things on the smaller side, right? Very. Is that uh, the range that you like to work in? Uh, yeah, I when it was actually kind of interesting because I I worked in gouache for years and I actually painted larger in gouache than I do in oil, which is definitely um a contradiction of what most people would think you'd be doing um so i was in the 18 by 24 range normally in gouache which is still you know considerably conservative um compared to maybe some other people but 18 by 24 in gouache is fairly big um and then i moved into oil and i started painting smaller and smaller and smaller um and now i would say probably the largest and uh i would do like a 9 by 12 or an 8 by 10 um i've got a couple pieces that are 11 by 14 um commissions that i'm working on but uh yeah usually 9 by 12 is as large as i go and i'll paint all the way down to an inch by an inch that's um, crazy yeah i really like doing it do you have to use like the big magnifying glasses like weird science you know it's funny i actually had a friend uh chris lewis um lent me <laughs> why did you say that all funny uh... <laughs> you did it like a little tilt in your head what is that all about <laughs> nothing yeah. uh but yeah <laughs> um he lent me one of those jewelers um what do you i'm not even sure what you call them kind of like a loop maybe on like a i don't know i felt like a crazy miner it was like on this headgear thing i just felt ridiculous i was by myself and i still felt ridiculous getting like your my, steampunk on yeah exactly like my cat's looking at me funny like hey jazz why don't you put on a top hat with that it looked real good so you know i'm in some there just, yeah, why don't you put on a cummerbund and some goggles um body odor is a must if you're going <laughs> if you're going for the full thing full bore steampunk bo so I, uh, you know, was, I tried with that, and actually, uh, I was it was really disorienting to me. I really didn't like it. So no, it's just, uh, you know, it's just me painting. I'll probably make myself blind at like thirty two, but I get in there with those like triple zero size, you know, paint brushes, and I love all the uh, Flemish artists with just their really kind of like stiff symbolism, and um, you know, everything is in focus and super detailed, and uh, so, um capture that a little bit or i try to anyway do you find that it's a weird transition to like say even from like the small like the four by four or one even one by one moving up to like 11 by 17 trying to transition the sort of 
um, color work in, or like, you know, I, I, I assume with the really small work, there is a sort of pointillism that you have to kind of like the, the idea of blowing that brush stroke up a particular brush stroke mm-hmm. can seem kind of daunting. I know I've experienced this for me. Like I kind of need, like I like stuff around like the eight by 10 yeah, size. It's perfect yeah. for me. It feels mm-hmm. great. And it's because I, I like the line work, the, the like quality of line to be that width, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no. But the I'm idea of it that. blowing up just multi, just even under like in Photoshop, blowing up 500%, it's like, uh, I want it to be back to the, the same size. Do you find it's like transitioning that line? Is it, it's almost like painting two different things. Do you, do you I, find I think so very much. So, yeah, even, you know, composition, brushwork, uh, everything is. Yeah, people always say to me, I don't know how you paint so small, and I just, I don't know how you paint so big. You know, I guess we come from two opposite ends of the spectrum, but, um, you know, somebody was telling me recently about a uh, Seattle-based artist that was a friend of theirs that I, I guess was fairly successful, and he could carry his entire life's portfolio in a suitcase around with him because he painted so small. Um, so, I don't know, I think there's certain people that are just more comfortable working on that scale or prefer to work on that scale, and I do, and people are always pushing me, you gotta paint bigger, paint bigger, paint bigger, and, um, for me, it's just not the same, it doesn't look the same, it's not the same experience, but, um, I, it's definitely something I would like to work towards, just, if nothing else, to push myself kind of into new areas. You just go paint outside. I'm just gonna paint the outside of your wall. Yeah. Yeah, place one Take care of it, shit. First mural piece, yeah. There actually, right across the street, there's this huge wall. It's like a quarter mile long, all the way down there. And I've I've considered trying to figure out how I could get it. I think we should just go do it. It'll it'll be a collaboration piece. (laughs) You know, well, that's good. Good publicity. But they're actually they're pretty supportive around here of arts. Like every single box all the way up the block is all each one is painted for like a mile. Oh yeah, yeah. Do that whole weird thing, and they're. There's actually a couple good ones. Most of it's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um. So when did you start showing your work? Did uh? Did you did you ha- did you know when you were in school that you wanted to sell work in the gallery forum? Did you did you know that that world exists? How did that how did that come about? Um. I did. It was actually an interesting transition for me when I was younger. Uh, I was obsessed with cartoons. Loved cartoons, and um, I still am. I still watch a lot of them. And uh, I kind of uh, grew up wanting to be an animator, and I went to school with that intention, and I got admitted into the animation program and very quickly realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I transitioned over into illustration, and um, again, I started realizing, you know, I didn't really like people telling me what I should be doing. Um, So I started meeting other gallery artists, and uh, I kind of got into that world. And it's weird because I I almost feel like I fell into it in a way. Like, I know there's a lot of people that really pursue that as their initial career path and their choice, and uh, it wasn't that way for me. I very much wanted to be an animator. I wanted to work for um, Nickelodeon or Disney or one of that, you know, and... um, yeah, that just ended up not not being the path that I took at all. But it was definitely where I had wanted to go. So yeah, the gallery thing was something that evolved, and um, I love it. I uh, I have my degree in illustration. I have my degree in in fine art. Um, but yeah, the the gallery thing was a uh, definitely. Um, it was more of what I was exposed to when I was in school, the people I met, that kind of thing that took me in that direction. And it seems like probably a personality fit, right? You know, Very for somebody so. who doesn't want, you know, I know that feeling exactly. Like, I because I have to do, you know, like I'll do commission work 
mm-hmm. or even doing commission work feels like it's, it's a it's different right <laughs> it's like it's different. something different than if you just sat down you could make the same exact painting mm-hmm. but just because somebody else has some sort of dictation over how it's gonna come out <laughs> or like has like final like sometimes even commissions i, I don't give people the final say they mm-hmm. just get the piece mm-hmm. but it's still like I want this person to like it. Yeah. You know, and they're going to like it most of the time. Mm-hmm. But there's like that weird little fear like, uh, I have to like make it to their quality, their like approval. their standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it changes. It does. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've definitely painted things for commissions uh, earlier on. And, um, you know, I would finish the painting and they, oh, well, uh, can the moon be over here? Can this be over here? You know, can you change this? And, you know, there's this inside of me that wants to, are you the artist or am I the who painted I painted the right here there's a composition issue here if we put that over that's why it's not there yeah. so you know I start to feel this like immediate um resentment rising up in me and I realize <laughs> yeah. that uh I don't work well in those kind of arenas so the first 20 minutes is out of the way see it's it's normal now right yeah no more jitterbugs no <laughs> well maybe a little um so there's some there's a reoccurring figurative that that comes through in the work uh and it you know everybody always says it like there's some sort of reference to like looking like the person that makes mm. the things mm-hmm. um there's i i see like there's often uh like a mother and child figure that mm-hmm. show up a lot and sometimes just the child figure uh is there is there something in this narrative that is sort of autobiographical is it is it something that uh has any particular meaning well i'm sure i know that that's a silly question <laughs> is, is there something that has the, like some specific meaning that we could talk about um you know it's interesting I, I keep coming back to that the the baby and the mother and i'm not really sure if that stems from my own you know childhood traumas and trying to work through those or if it stems through my horrifying fear of motherhood and having a child um which I don't and I don't know if I ever will but I actually have nightmares about you know being pregnant and uh uh so you know I think uh I'm not sure which end of the spectrum it's coming from or if it's both um so I can say that it's it's a symbolism that resonates a lot for me but I'm not sure uh in which way or or in a lot of aspects but um it's definitely a, a reoccurring theme for me. Because a lot of times those things end up, I, I recognize it being sort of subconscious. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to put myself into the pieces. Right. And I have this uh, um, this idea that it's like we see ourselves so much mm-hmm. that it somehow just comes out through the hand. Yeah. And it's it's almost unexplainable. It's something that seems like it's almost ingrained without it's something that happens i notice like so i notice the difference between when i'm trying to make something and Mm -hmm. when i'm just making something right you know and when i'm just making something it's this particular look that is often looking like me (laughs) not trying but like little parts um and do do you feel like that happens for you and when you're when you're working in like there's like a like a shut off of the mind yeah just work 
Well, it's interesting because I never saw it before and I didn't think I did it. Um, but I've had so many people uh, over the years tell me that my, you know, especially the, uh, I guess, mother figures maybe that you're referring to. I or... think the, the baby ones look more like. Really? Yeah. That's the first time I've gotten that. Yeah. Usually people tell me they think it's the mother figure that looks a lot like me, which, you know, is interesting because I, I really, really, really deeply am not a fan of paintings of just girls looking pretty um it's something that i'm honestly kind of sick of seeing yeah, and annoying. there's yeah. a lot of annoying things out there there's a lot of annoying things um so so that is something that uh i don't paint i i like disturbing things i like imagery that makes you think or make you upset or makes you look at the world differently or i like to evoke a feeling from somebody other than like hey that's a hot chick so um yeah. you know i try not to do that and um well there's there's like a mix between there's like a level of cuteness that you get from a natural thing with babies right yeah, like that yeah. baby like soft skin baby face right and uh ah oh, what was i gonna say dang it i <laughs> forgot oh, okay i got it the uh, a mix between like a level of cuteness and morbidity uh -huh. that like coexists you know that maybe the type of personality might pick up on either one mm -hmm. or do you feel do you feel like you kind of have that type of personality like Try, like, the sweet and morbid side? I think, yeah, I very much do. I think I I am a pretty good mix of the two. And it's funny because I think people a lot of times think that, you know, I, I like horror movies or I'm really into, you know, hell, and I'm really not. I'm truly not. I love all the old Vincent Price movies. I love, you know, all the kind of more campy, macabre stuff. I'm a huge Adams Family fan, that kind of thing so i really enjoy that but um straight up horror films scare the bejesus out of me i'll have nightmares for weeks i don't watch them so um you know so there's I, a like a whimsical side to like yeah, exploring darkness very much so yeah so um i like that juxtaposition a lot and i i also like the idea of seeing both sides of things like that i mean i think you can see an image that's just straight up in your face disturbing where you can see an image that maybe on the surface seems like oh that's kind of nice and you get a little closer and you go oh that's actually really disturbing and so i i feel like that in a way can be a little more um it can impress you a little more or it can make you think a little bit more than something that you just immediately look at and go oh geez like that's horrifying or that's you know disgusting do, do, do you feel like that helps you in like everyday society like like, let's say, like, the way we might instantly perceive a homeless person is disgusting or, like, like some lower class of society or something. Do you feel like you could look at, like, everyday mundane, you know, occurrences with that same sort of eye of, you know, finding the sweetness in there, even though, like, fuck, this shit is kind of morbid? <laughs> um yeah i i so i suppose like in a lot of ways um i think that no matter what's on the surface or what your initial reaction might be that you know it's always valid to try to take a deeper look you know see the other side of something that things often aren't exactly how they appear and um you know i think a lot of people can base their reactions so quickly on you know their immediate perception of something and and i think that's a flaw and our, you know, our our own experience, like adding what has happened to us in the past, mm -hmm. putting that into what is happening in the current present moment. Yeah, there's um, on my block at both ends of my like, uh, like a mile stretch is uh like this racket of people who uh, get money from people at the stoplights. Mm -hmm. Some reason it's allowed here, mm -hmm. and like I know who all the people are now from <laughs> just being on the neighborhood, and it's something that I pay attention to. Uh -huh. I really want to get them on the podcast. <laughs> I think you 
there's a guy down the street that just has these huge signs and just looks like a, a snake oil salesman. Like he's over there waving like a Republican, like kissing babies and shit with these huge signs, this big like red grinning smile on his face. Like I want to kind of strangle him. But I like I really want to learn about that racket. Yeah, yeah. Transitioning out of homeless people being humans like the rest of us. Now let me talk about this guy. And what's what's really funny is I recognized this guy at the end of the block. I was like, mm-hmm. what's this new big-ass fucking sign-holding motherfucker doing over here? And then I realized it was a guy from another block over by the <laughs> bank that I go to that he works that corner over there. And get this. I think there's like a like a uh, network uh-huh. of like like a gang. Uh-huh. So there's a dude that rides around here like uh, like – Total like big like Harley meth dude right. that rides. But I say Harley meth dude like he owns a, a bike, but he owns like a bicycle <laughs> with like the, you know like the big handlebars, like the big uh-huh. like motorcycle handlebars. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he finds like the most ragged ass fools that probably buy drugs from him mm-hmm. or somewhere in the vicinity and uh, puts them out there. Uh-huh. They get to keep a small percentage, or he gives them wait. some drugs or alcohol, wait, and they have to. Because get this, I see this guy roll up to all the people who work the corners, uh-huh. and but they is have this, little powwow. Is this like a fictitious biography you've come up for for this guy, or do you have any any evidence? Is this do you just, watch this just guy my and, perception of so you just being have this in the neighborhood invented for him? I think yeah, that's pretty yeah. amazing, actually. Yeah. So he could be living a totally I alternate be t- lifestyle. One hundred and ten percent wrong, completely. Yeah. And but it, I have the I have the theory that he's. Hustle. He's like pimping. Uh-huh. He's right. pimping these corners. And if anybody, any of the hobos come in and try to work his corners, he busts uh-huh. them up. Yeah. You know, he gives them the business. Right. Because they're all haggard and they, they recycle. So he's the kingpin of yeah, this operation. Yeah. He runs like three corners. Okay. And then the, a couple other corners are, I think, on What's the free his market. name? Does he have? I, I don't know his name. Weasley I've Joe? never met the man. I well, don't know. you've never met but him, it, but you know his entire backstory. It's obvious. His, I'm very good. So I at, just thought maybe. I read body language, right? <laughs> I could see. I could see people tell me their stories without really even having to uh-huh. tell me. Have you ever verified the? Well, that's why I want to get him on the show for. That's why I want to go talk to him. I think that we should get him in here immediately next time you see him. It just the problem is getting them to admit to what it is. Like I really want to get the whole story, but well, like, well, you know, we'll get him some Jack Daniels or whatever his vice is, loosen him up a little bit, you know, and uh, yeah. and get the story. It can happen. Yeah. I got a like a remote, uh, a, an on the go recorder. Like, we did, oh, so I, we're I, not I, we're not inviting the kingpin. No, into I don't. The, the I don't think studio. so. That could be dangerous. Okay, it could. But or, yeah, they yeah. they got a whole thing, and I, I really want to get to the bottom of it. I think you should do that investigating. That's what I. I I could see myself moving into investigative journalism, and it would be these stupid, <laughs> mundane topics that really mean nothing to the rest of society, but, but are to you. hyper interesting to me. Yeah, that's all that matters. There's got to be enough kooky people out there that'd be interested in listening. I think it, it's one of those like great mythologies. Like, what are those people doing? You know, there's all those stories like, oh, this guy was a millionaire, and he, or you know, like. This guy makes a hundred thousand a year just standing on the corner. I was like, "Is there? Is this real? Right? Is this one of just those weird mythologies that we build up that like these dudes like as soon as they walk away, like they stop limping and you know all the like they they put on the nice designer clothes when they they leave. They pull off their bum jacket and they make dough. Versace coat. They I'm I'm for sure I I'm fairly certain they make more money than I do. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Unless the the ringmaster gets in there and takes his cut, and then she right. gets fucked up. Yeah, which is not that much different than working with galleries. 
No, it's a it's a similar premise. In fact, I actually think that we should do a hybrid thing where maybe as starving artists, we should um, go out on the street and also panhandle for money. We can start our own racket. You can be the kingpin. Yeah, if I yeah. could just take the 40, 50 percent off. I'm not. The top. I'm not going to give you that much. You can have ten, but y- you know, you're going to have to work for it. Well, you you came up with the idea, so. <laughs> but everybody else, fuck them. <laughs> but so, but seriously though, back to artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you've worked with a lot of you. You mostly show in Los Angeles. Is that um, fair? Is that a fair assessment? I do. I would say the majority of my shows are in Los Angeles. I've shown uh, several times with Last Rites out in New York, but that's been my only. Uh, East Did one show with them? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't. I don't think they liked my stuff. Really? But it was. Uh, what was it? Oh no no no! The one show out there was okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of another place. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, I, okay. they, I didn't get asked that. No. Which no. show was it? Thirteenth hour. I don't know. I did a portrait of Moses with horns. Uh huh. Um, which most people, a lot of people, don't know that story. No, I don't. Have know you ever heard that? No. Um, a lot of the imagery of Moses, like the um, the sculpture that uh, Michelangelo did, mm-hmm. uh, it's Moses with two like devil horns coming out of his forehead. Mm-hmm. And what had happened in the translation, as at least as far as I've I've read. Um, in the translation, it got mixed up from uh, one letter was off, mm-hmm. and the translation went from uh, they meant to say that his face shone with light. So, like after Moses went and talked to God, mm-hmm. he 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 couldn't show people his face because uh, a light was emanating from it that was so bright that like people would be blinded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had to wear like a fucking like something over his head. This is the story. I'm not saying this is this. But... <laughs> Like a, a realism here. We were talking about realism. Before. So this is the mythology that we're this talking is the, about. Here. Yeah. This yeah. is actually probably more metaphorical than anything. Uh-huh. But so in the translation, they mistaken the word like shown light from his face mm-hmm. to horned. Mm. So all the art and sculptures were like, this is the translation. Motherfucking Moses had some horns. You guys are going to put horns on everything. So for a period of time, Moses had horns. That's but then you'll see you'll find other pictures where there's like light shining from it. But again, that's metaphorical. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not again. I don't even really know how we got. Oh, for the last rights thing. It, yeah, I can't remember. It, it was a group show that had a specific topic. Oh, okay. Well, I which I've those always, are tough too, right? Those are kind of weird. Like they're a little tough. You know, I I have fun doing them if it's a topic that I find interesting. And so I've gotten to the point uh, in my life where I don't take a group show if I don't find the topic interesting. So in the beginning, maybe I was doing a lot of things that were thrown at me that I found really uninspiring. You know, sleepy, uh, for instance, maybe is something that doesn't resonate with me. But I would take it because I, you know, I was honored to be a part of the show and I I wanted to be in galleries and you know you're just getting started so you don't really know. Um, but now at this point, I I usually don't take commissions and I usually don't take uh, group shows unless the theme is something that um, I find really interesting or if the curator is very open to you know oh this is kind of a loosely based show but you can interpret it however you want like i i like that idea a lot but um yeah maybe we should do a group show on the uh, misinterpretations and mistranslations in the bible i think that there's been several that have led to some pretty interesting stories so that could, could be a good be group some, show right yeah, there there could be some good ones <laughs> in there um something that i which is now becoming more stereotypical for me to talk about now but um mm. When I have female artists on the show, I, I like to, to <laughs> talk about the idea of um, 
uh, when since we're talking about group shows and theme group shows, like all female group shows, mm-hmm. how do you feel about those? Um, I think it is. It's interesting. I have very mixed feelings on it. I don't like the idea of women being singled out specifically because they're women. So saying we're all showing together because we're women um, is a little strange to me. Um, but I also see the validity in it in the sense that if you look at a group show lineup, um, depending on what gallery it is or what art movement it is, I would say that the pop surrealist or whatever you want to call it movement has been a little more accepting of women. Um, but even within those group shows, I've noticed uh, there's a definite skew towards male versus female. So, um, and, and definitely outside of the pop surrealist arena, you will see that the vast majority of artists in a gallery ex- exhibition or you know a museum or um, even just a group show will be radically skewed towards the male. And it's not that these women aren't there, which a lot of people think, oh, you know, there's not as many female artists, so that's why uh, it's totally not true. So I find it valid in the sense that these women are often not given the same opportunities that the men are. And so this is an arena for us to say, here we are, like, you know, come see our art. And, you know, we're dedicating it to this idea of like there are female artists and here's some of them. You feel like some of those things are changing now, like as because if we if we look at like statistically mm-hmm. in in the sort of economic statistics women Mm -hmm. really started getting to the into the work field around the 70s you know that's when it became more i guess air quoting socially acceptable sounds stupid to even say but (laughs) you know it was a little before that but yeah yeah okay right around there maybe the you know the influx began there um so maybe is you know looking at like uh, like the high galleries and museums like Mm -hmm. do do you think that we're we're seeing more female artists now, uh, uh, being that there may be a more supportive arena for young girls over the last, you know, who have gone through the school system over the last mm-hmm. 10 years or 20 years, like that there is a, an oppor- more opportunity now, what do you think? Do you think that I there's do, a well, tidal shift? Are we, I mean, if we're going to specifically talk about, you know, the United States, then I could say, yeah, I, I've definitely started to notice um, that women are, you know, accepted um, into art circles a little bit more. Um, but Europe is different? And not necessarily Europe, you know, maybe uh, certain countries, you know, obvious countries. So I'm just saying, you know, speaking from a Western perspective, like, yeah, you can right. see a shift. Um, and I think there's been a lot of driving forces behind that. The Gorilla Girls, for instance, I think have pointed out a lot of the injustices in, you know, museums and um, who's shown and who isn't. And, uh, you know, their famous catchphrase, does a woman have to be naked to get into the mat? Like, meaning that these female artists are not represented and actually did a really interesting um, interview, and uh, I, I might actually be misrepresenting this, but I'm sure you can Google it and get the, the factual account. But as I mm-hmm. recall, um, they stood outside of a, a gallery uh, or an art museum, and they asked the patrons that were coming out, well, which female artist did you see? And, you know, the, oh, well, uh, and if they could even name one that was in there. Um, and then they said, okay, well, you know, which female artist are you familiar with? And they got a lot of answers like, uh, oh, well, there's that girl with the unibrow, uh, what's her name? So, you know, people are just unaware. It's, um, I think even now, um, the idea of, you know, you interview somebody, what artist influenced you, which, you know, artist do you uh, acknowledge? You know, from the past, you walk into the Balboa, you know, Museum of Art over there in Balboa Park, like you're going to see a huge gender skew. 
And, um, you know, I, I realized back then that, there weren't as many, but yeah, even, even back then there were some that are still today not acknowledged um, and not shown. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, like, going back and, like, putting into the historical context the mm -hmm. stuff that may have not had an opportunity to be there before. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see more of that. I think that in now more so than ever, these ideas of these... Um, you know, uh, women only shows would be wonderful if the, you know, gallery there in Bobo Park did, uh, you know, women in history and they just showed all these female artists like, you know, then those people would walk away with a with a deeper understanding. So in that sense, like like I said, I, I hate for women to have to to have to say, oh, well, we're, we're going to do this women only show because it's the only way for us to get equal recognition or to get any recognition at all. So I see it as a valid thing. Um, but, you know, like I said, it bothers me that we have to do that at all. Yeah, it's weird. It's a, it's like a a compliment and like a backhand. Yeah, very much time. so. Yeah, almost like oh, we'll hear some art by women. You know, like like it's it's something. Yeah, I always feel bad. Like mm -hmm. when I see that shit, like it feels like, like of course I understand the power in numbers. Like mm -hmm. it, it helps to push a, a movement forward. Right. But just the fact that we have to have a movement like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was affiliated and with one here. Do you in think San Diego, it creates a so. a level of separatism? on on some on some spectrum i i do very much so and i think that um you know i've spoken to to female and male artists that have um you know vastly differing op opinions on it i'm always interested in hearing what people think um but i do i think it, it creates a separatism and um you know i think that it's in be its nature very much so yeah. yeah and i think we should be working with men i think that we should get to a point where you know they're the other uh, almost half of the population and i feel like you know, uh, I've met men that identify as feminists or, you know, even if they feel funny about using that word, like I would I, label that them that totally way. sounds totally funny. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like somebody had bitch slap. <laughs> well, see, it's that idea right I know, there. I know. I use that term on purpose. Yeah. So, so I think that that's kind of like an F word for a lot of people. They don't want to use it. You know, there's so much stigma. I know a lot of women that don't want to use it. Um, Any ism nowadays is weird to say. Yeah. That's, At least that's from true. my perspective. Yeah. I think for a lot of people it can. And you know, I, I will always identify myself as that just because um, I, I I think that we should kind of reclaim that and maybe make it something different. And I think it should be an acceptable word for men to use and not feel like pansies, you know, or whatever they want to call, you know, get bitch slapped or whatever one, for calling themselves that. One of the things that have gotten feminist mad, uh, pissed off at me on, uh -huh. on social media, <laughs> I asked um, what the opposite of feminist is. Massacre? Sadist? I don't know what. No, I don't know. Oh, I what? asked the question because I don't know. So okay, I, I was what? gearing up for some horrible joke there, Mike. No, no, no horrible um, joke. What? What is the um? What would be the opposite? Would it be a masochist? Not a masochist. No, no, uh, a, a uh, chauvinist. Yeah, uh, yeah, you could say that probably. So when you when you ask that question, chauvinist is usually used in a negative mm -hmm. connotation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What does that say about it? Oh, are you saying, you know, like, what would be the counterpart for a man? Like, what would you call yeah, a man? Um, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, men aren't typically an oppressed group, so they don't necessarily need an ism to be followed after. Isn't that, or, isn't that strange? Or, that I, I think it, I find that when, when groups band together like that, mm -hmm. like, and create, like, a separatist sort of organization, <laughs> yeah. at, at what point is there... Is there a possibility for equality in that when you look at it from that perspective, like the separatist movement? Right. Often in history, separatist movements uh -huh. want want the power. 
Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I do. At what I point understand that. Well, can you, we make the levels level out, or does it just go from yin to yang, back to yang to yin? <laughs> Is there an evenness? There? Um, I I think that I think that there could be. I think that these groups feel like they need to identify because they're already identified as other. So you could say, yeah, that's the big thing, right? Right. So so they're identified as other. They're, you know, shunned for whatever reason or they're not getting equal rights. So they feel like power in numbers. So this whole thing basically is a byproduct of already being identified as other. So we didn't say, right, come up and go, oh, hey, women have it awesome. Like, this is great. We're equal in so many ways. Like, this is wonderful. Um, uh, let's band together and make this group and separate ourselves and try to take over these guys. Like, fuck yeah. them. We're, you know, we're yeah. going to be fucking feminists. Yeah, it's we not need sad. power. Like, it's not that. It's an yeah. idea of, you know, us banding together maybe to, to help each other, to acknowledge inequality, to, you know, um, try to overcome that otherness. Um, but by but, the same right, you know, like you said, you are identifying as other. But, you know, there's a difference between somebody saying you are other and then you embracing your otherness and saying, well, let's see if we can make this work for us or, you know, level the playing field a little bit. On that same thing, if we if we take a, away power structures, my is it safe to say that straight white male is also now an other like (laughs) if if enough due to history and the way history has progressed Mm -hmm. if if being that other is uh beyond oppression if being that other like is the start of like a separatist type movement I think that it already is a separatist type movement in the sense that, um, you know, the vast the majority of, of the it. world leaders, the billionaires in the world, the people with power, that's who it is. So in its own weird way, it, it is, you know, an other like most people do not have the access to attain what what that minority group has. And at this point, like we see the way the distribution of wealth throughout the world now, like mm-hmm. we it it almost seems like the the same way that maybe white people are racist towards blacks in like that they generalize a particular group or the way like people are like a, a chauvinist would be there's a sort of generalization that happens that maybe is much more overblown like my story about the guys working on the corner like the thing <laughs> that's that's really ends up being made up Right. I wonder how much of that gets put on to straight white males as well. Like as if, you know, if somebody sees me walking down the street, they think I I have this same privilege that some billionaire up in Wall Street. I don't know if I would automatically assume you're white, Mike. Well, I'm usually not. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm mistaken often. But usually I'm only mistaken from white people. But but, you know, like like I I definitely did not have the same. Uh, opportunities as others Mm -hmm. and at the same time i had more opportunities and less um stresses than maybe other people had Mm -hmm. yeah well i I do think i wonder how generalized it it gets from each different little separatist group when thinking about another one right so for instance you see one news story where they talk about there being a certain racket you know of homeless people that are making money and granted that probably exists but now you've put that onto yeah. every homeless person out there. They're all part of a racket. You know, nobody yeah. is legitimately hurting. So, so yeah, you could say the same thing. Um, I think that that's where the huge issue of judging somebody comes from. Like we were talking about earlier, looking at somebody and not being able to look beyond your initial reaction. And, and I think that we all fall prey to that. You know, you'll see somebody and, and just based on their outward appearance, make a snap judgment of them um, and or a group, you know, or... Um, you know, it can be anything. So I think that that's really dangerous. And I think that it's in our nature to automatically do that. 
Um, but I think it that is, it's, it's almost can... like a safety mechanism a lot of times. It like is. Old... And you see something that's other and you want to put, you know, your label on it and make it, you know, what you think it is or, or what you assume it to be. And, um, I, you know, I do. I think that's human nature in a lot of ways. But I do think it's something that with conscious effort we can break out of. And it, exactly. And something that I find in creative type people, they, there's a willingness to let all that otherness go. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was that meme that was going around that was saying like artists, like Facebook meme was saying like artists are dangerous because they uh, don't just socialize with one group of society. Like they, they're socializing with all groups, you know, uh-huh. so like I they have this connection one. to to not just like. You know, they do have connections to rich people, mm-hmm. but they're living with poor people. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's this weird dichotomy of being connected through all society. And I don't know, like for me, like coming up in high school and like growing up, like I was friends with all different types of people. Like I never really like stuck to like one little click. Yeah. You know, it's a, there, this weird mutual appreciation of what everybody is up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Even I, though that's not to say that I'm not judgmental. But yeah. I'm willing to give people a chance. I, I'm I'm willing to hear people's story, like uh-huh. make me think differently. I, the thing is, I'm always willing to be wrong. Yeah. And a lot of people are not. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend, you know, about that the other day. And um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of power in being able to admit that you're wrong or have a dialogue with somebody who maybe you would assume that you'd have conflicting views with. And, um, you know, I actually... I was reading something about that recently where they were saying that um, sometimes that can work in your favor. And sometimes you actually talk to somebody and it, it just further um, justifies maybe those preconceived notions you had about them. So it can work both ways, um, definitely. But I do think usually when you talk to somebody and you see their humanity, you know, even if you don't walk away agreeing with them, maybe you can see where they're coming from uh, a little bit more. You have some insight that you didn't have, you know, before. Um, but I was the same way in, in high school. I actually primarily hung out with peer leaders, uh, which is in my exact opposite. I just judged you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. Terrible. No, I'm just kidding. Terrible. But, um, yeah, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why I fell into that group for whatever reason. I never was a cheerleader. I have no – and I didn't stay in touch with those people after high school. It was just for some reason in that high school. That was the group I fell in with. Um, it's so weird to be a teenager. It's very weird. It's a my, weird uh, time in your life. My little brother, he's 16. He may have just turned 17. Uh, he texted me today asking me if I still had any of my tattoo equipment from when I did tattoos a long time ago, <laughs> which I did an apprenticeship and tattooed for a little bit and stopped uh-huh. ten, over 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, nine years ago. Uh-huh. And I was like, dude, you just made the first mistake of telling me that you know nothing about <laughs> tattoos or even getting a quality tattoo. Because one... First rule of tattoo, get if if you're getting a tattoo from somebody who who doesn't do tattoos professionally, uh-huh. then you're an idiot, <laughs> and you're going to get a terrible tattoo. Yes, it's the same thing if you try to get a painting from somebody who doesn't do professional. <laughs> oh my god! So Hinley, he's sixteen, seventeen. The male teenage brain mm-hmm. is so stupid. It's so <laughs> and it thinks it's it's ahead of the game all the time. Like it's like I know what the fuck's going on, but it has no fucking idea. I barely have an idea, and I'm 33, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, you're an idiot. Just at least wait till you're 21. You're not going to get a tattoo that you like when in a year later you're going to be like, oh, I fucked it up. Yeah. So I gave him all those rules and told him he's not allowed to get tattoos. I think that's 21. a solid idea. I mean, as a— But that may just get him to go 
do it. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Exactly. It might be. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I you should just start showing him some terrible tattoos. You should get this. You should get this. Well, all my tattoos are awesome. <laughs> well, I didn't say yours. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You like pointed. Did I? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I I I actually really think that um, you know, getting tattoos, you can be a collector in that realm too. And it's not just like you said, buying a shitty painting. You can replace that painting over your mantle if you bought it yeah, as more. an inexperienced, you know, art collector. But as a tattoo collector, if you're gonna get something put on you for the rest of your life, I think that um, well, you know. I understand that there's easier ways to remove them now, and they're getting easier and easier every day. But oh, you don't want to get tattoos removed. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. But you know, uh, when you're making a commitment like that, it's more serious um, sometimes than the art that you're going to hang on your, you know, over your fireplace. So I think that uh, you definitely need to look into the artist and get somebody solid. And maybe he should go down and talk to some, you know, some professional people before he uh, just goes out and gets something and they might open his eyes a little bit because if you plan that out well you can end up you know with some amazing art on your body yeah but you just should be over the age of stupidity yeah when is that are you kidding me <laughs> it's actually i think it starts to happen around 25 like a little Maybe, bit of the stupidity yeah. falls out you start to come out of the stupidity cocoon then a little 30 bit. you're like oh shit i was stupid yeah. <laughs> you figure it out from 25 to 30. Like, yeah, I agree. Damn it. Like, you really think you were smart, and you're like, God damn. Mm -hmm. You figure out, you, you start to see mistakes, which I think is the, uh, really the definition of becoming an adult, mm -hmm. understanding your mistakes better, maybe. Right. Moving on from them. You're trying to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that might be a good spot. Let's, um, let's plug your stuff so people can go check out your work. Okay. Um... You got a website and the Twitters, and you, you're telling me that you're not very good with the Facebooks. Are you like 57? Uh, I am 82 years old. Next March, yeah. Even 57 year olds are using the Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook. You know, the Facebook and the Instagram and all these social networking things that these kids have these days. I've managed to stay off the Instagram. Boggles the mind. Um, you know what's interesting is I actually liked Instagram better, or I do like it better than Facebook because it cuts down a lot on the social end of things and it's more about the visual and as an artist you know maybe you can appreciate that i know that i do um it's just about posting a picture and you know people can comment on it or like it or whatever they want to do but it's not so much about um you know the social aspect of it they don't pry into your business as much and uh, i actually briefly considered deleting my facebook account and switching over to instagram and then facebook bought instagram and you know they're just becoming these like social moguls where they're taking over everything so i decided that was futile but um yeah you can find me on instagram and facebook i probably won't check my friend requests on facebook so best not to try to you're add on twitter on i just added you on twitter today i am on twitter I um I let's have get that you some followers you need to get that thing going on twitter yes. i don't tweet either well, i have it linked to, to my instagram it. i know i probably should i'm terrible somebody needs to do pr for me i'm awful at this stuff I so am. many artists have so many problems with this. I don't understand. It's, you know, it. we just we need help. I don't feel like I I don't feel like most artists are naturally good at that. I'm a yeah. I mean, so many sure. are are using imagery as their language. Yeah, very much so, and that's why I think Instagram, you know, resonated for me a lot because it is just about posting that picture. You don't have to say anything about it if you don't want to. So I have my Twitter uh, linked to my Instagram. So most of my tweets are just going to be instagram pictures so you might as well just follow me on instagram <laughs> that's fine but we still want to get you some some twitter followers over there all right we'll yeah. make it happen excellent all right let's do in person dap done nice <laughs> all right thanks jasmine i appreciate it thanks so much mike all right. all right i want to be stereotyped
I want to be classified. to be classified.